Okay. And obviously we're coming to you in the middle of the week, not our usual release time, which means that this is one of our special episodes. Um, a little while ago, uh, we had our 150th episode, several, several episodes ago now, and uh, we actually meant to put this out at that time, but then of course the world got crazy with the whole COVID thing going on, and uh, we didn't have enough time to follow up, but now we do. So we are going to answer a few questions. So the uh, first one comes from the uh, Dungeons and Blaggards podcast, one of our favorites. And uh, good to hear from, uh, from you all over there. And uh, their first question is, what is each player's favorite NPC? Uh, we've obviously had a bundle of them here in our story. Um, so which one is our favorite? So actually, why don't we do in the reverse order we normally go? And, and Owen, why don't you answer that one? What, what, what is uh, Arlen's favorite NPC in, in uh, the game? Uh, one might assume that it would be Orlana, but no. My favorite NPC is Smedric the Tortoise because uh, yes. uh, I have it written on my character sheet, Smedric Lives. And uh, yeah, Smedric is my absolute one. Hashtag Smedric lives. Put, uh, put it on Twitter, whatever. And and so we're going way into the way back. I mean, that was back uh, in when we only had a couple a couple of dozen episodes out, and you mm-hmm. guys ran into Smedric, who uh, pulled you in the proper direction to get to the oases and not die, which was fantastic. Very good. Okay, and uh, so Matt, why don't you tell us uh, what's Noan's favorite NPC in the, in this whole adventure? I kind of like Danya. You know, I'm a Pirates of the Caribbean fan, and she gives me a little flavor of that. She does have that sort of piratey flavor, doesn't she? I mean, the eye patch and and uh, she's an eye patch. Yeah. And when did you mention that? That's cool. very first time you ever met her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely a devil may care attitude. What, what else? Uh, what else about Danya um, att- attracts uh, no one? Um, well, you know, she has, you know, kind of that that gruff, gruff demeanor. But underneath that, she's actually a good person. She's sort of like Jack Sparrow in that way—a pirate, but she's not going to let someone someone uh, falter she may grab her bit of gold for doing it but you know i don't think she would actually strand us as much as she talks about it <laughs> i kind of think she gives off a more of a han solo vibe minus the whole chewbacca thing well she's definitely a definitely a smuggler of some sort yeah used to be yeah yeah not in the way now she's legit yeah i mean considering the name of her ship yeah exactly yeah, I, I was very proud of uh, of Jesse for figuring that one out. That that made me happy. It took me a bit. What about a dozen episodes or so? The name of the ship is the is Latin. It's Millennium Falcon. Oh, I, I missed me. <laughs> Actually, yeah, Mini Any Aquila, which in Latin means a thousand year eagle. Yeah, close enough. Yep. Well, actually, and the reason I had to do that is because the Latin word for falcon is falcon so that would have been a little too much of a, a giveaway <laughs> if i if i made it millie any falcon who would went oh okay so yeah very very good for jesse for figuring that one out I, I would, you definitely got the gold the teacher's gold star that particular episode Yay. so the the group gets extra experience points for that right no i do no jesse just did yeah, that's why she's a level ahead of the rest of you <laughs> <laughs> 
Real good. And well, speaking of that, Jesse, what is uh, what is Adri's favorite NPC in this whole mess? I actually, I have a soft spot for bumbling bard characters, so I really enjoyed Nessian when he was around. Oh, good. Well, you know, he's a wandering bard, so it's entirely possible you'll wander into him again. I mean, how many times twice now we run into him? This is true. I, yeah. More. Yeah, and actually Bumbling Bard was the name of the band he was in, so. Makes sense. He's been yeah. in a lot of bands. Yes, quite a few. Very good. And actually, I, I got to say, he's he's definitely one of my favorite ones, too, because especially he just irritates the living daylights out of uh, several of the players. So, you know, what, what can and you do And he irritates me, too, but that's why I like Bard characters. <laughs> <laughs> And we know why his his wizard friends are wealthy, right? Why? Because he'll toss a coin to his witcher. Uh, That's a different storyline. <laughs> Real good. And uh, Drew, why don't you tell us what what is Kraval's favorite NPC in this whole thing? Um, actually, I would have to say it's Baron Baron Nola. Okay. And, uh, and I, the only reason why I would say that is because she seems to be really, she's not like, she's very humble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She, she, she rose up because she felt she had to. Um, she's helped us out without expecting much in return, but she gets, you know, she, it, it's just, it's just a well thought out character that I really like. Yeah. Well, uh, clearly she's, um, she's main concern is, is the welfare of her people. And, uh, as I often say, a lot of times the best leaders are the ones that don't want the job, you know? They're there just because they someone needs to step up and do it, and uh, clearly, clearly that that's the case for her. And uh, then uh, Bryce, what is what is Cotter's favorite NPC? What was that look, Owen? I'm expecting an answer, and I okay. Well, my favorite NPC is my character's wife, Cynia. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, the, the whole going back to Porta Magnum sequence was probably less than like half an hour total of recorded edited and published time but it took us about like four or five hours to role play that because i was just so bad at the time what do you mean at the time oh (laughs) ouch thanks but that whole segment really helped me develop that skill really good well i mean it's good to see uh Good to see that you're developing there. And, and uh, actually, that's a good question for everybody. Um, so we'll ask that one next. That, that one was not asked here, but we might as well. Um, and actually, for my favorite NPC, um, and, and I got to say, it's um, basically all of the gnomes. Um, they, are, they are just so much fun. You just never know what's coming up next on, on the, uh, the gnome parade. So, um, and, and then obviously, as, as an um, uh, honorable mention, uh, is is obviously Oscar the inventor, uh, who you know invents the the stuff with the gnomes that the one the, the one dwarf that stepped outside of his uh, his comfort zone and become an inventor and uh, he's a lot of fun. I mean, just any anyone who uses dire hamsters to power his machines. I mean, you know, dire hamsters to power Voltron. Yes, power Voltron. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that that's actually a pretty good question that follows on. It's like uh, you know with uh, what Bryce had to say. Um, how you know here we are two years later um and how do you think your uh role-playing skills have changed from that very first episode way back when 
And um, I'm it's just got to be more than two years. It is a bit more than two years. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's uh, five years. Yeah. I mean, it's like a lot longer. <laughs> it's like two and a half now, but uh, we haven't quite come up on a three year anniversary. That'd be in September. Um, kind of hoping we can all get back together again before then. So that'd, that'd be kind of nice. But yeah. So actually, um, Jesse, since you opened it up there, what, how, how do you think your role playing skills have changed from now till then? Well, considering this game was my first introduction to Dungeons and Dragons in terms of actually playing it, I've done lots of been interested in Dungeons and Dragons long before that. But this is my first actual game of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think it's definitely it was a sharp learning curve, but I feel like it's um, kind of getting into that understanding of separating like player from character knowledge and being able to to think how your character would think and all of that so okay and uh who wants who else wants to fill in with uh their their role-playing skills obviously bryce has is, is, uh, told us about how the uh, whole opening up of the door there for the role-playing skills was having to uh role-play his uh, return to port of magnum um how about the rest of you and and owen um before this campaign all of my previous ones were I would say fairly combat based. We didn't do that much role play. If it was anything, then it would just be like basic conversations with when like with townsfolk. But through um, this podcast, I've been able to um, improve my role playing skills, and I'm actually using them uh, with DMing my own campaign with my friends, and that kind of. Um, quick wit that I picked up here, I've been able to use in uh, my own campaigns. Really good. And uh, Drew, did you or Matt, did you want to add anything to that? For me, I've transitioned from kind of focusing on how tough a character could be or their abilities, and then how to evolve them through leveling up into something that makes sense for the character. So, you know, at first the instinct is let's pick a feat that allows you to always hit harder or, or do something like that. But, uh, you know, realizing no one is, you know, agile, he's not necessarily going to go for battle master and, and is trying to evolve along and play more along like someone who's, who's kind of thinking a little outside of themselves. No one never thinks outside of themselves. Yeah, it's been interesting. And how about uh, you, Drew? Any, any any changes in these last two plus years? Uh, yeah, probably more like just how I thought. Because when I made up Krabal, um, I had an idea of what I wanted him to be. And so I tried to play act that. And the character, which is funny because all it is is a piece of paper and some writing on it, kind of told me how he was going to be. So I went from being, you know, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be this. And it just didn't feel right. So I went to something else, went to something else. And um, I think I finally landed on what I think Kribal is as a, as a, you know, if, if it was a real person. So trying to, trying to role play that has been remarkably easier than trying to force something. So. Yeah, really good. And actually it kind of reminds me about how some authors talk about, um, you know, starting off a book and then, you know, being interested to see where it goes. And what the characters do, and, and sometimes talk about having to discipline their characters because they keep getting out of out of line, and uh, you know, so sometimes the character tells you where it wants to go. Um, so yeah, and and I know for myself, um, obviously this has been the biggest campaign I've ever been a part of. So um, I've been uh, you know trying to deal with uh, 
trying to keep track of all the different NPCs and their motivations and their accents and uh, all the different pieces and parts that, that make them that and, and trying to keep those all in line. It's been quite a challenge, but also very rewarding at the same time. Anyway, so the next question they had is the DM's thought on overall world building and story. How do you tie it all together? And, uh, well, this is actually a, a big group question because it was a big group answer. Um, I drew up the map, you know, made the world um, as it was. But then if you remember, I asked all of you to give me your backstories. And then actually that told me what was on the map. Uh, for instance, Port of Magnum, I just knew it was a tiered city that had a gate to the outside world. In it, and that was about as far as I went with it up until Bryce uh, gave me his backstory about how he was a noble, and then that gave me the idea. Okay, well, the nobles, well, they live in the top tier. Okay, so the, each of the tiers going down is you know lower and lower. They have uh, you know smaller houses and and uh, lower incomes, and so all the uh, field workers live in the first, and then all the nobles live in the top. Other yeah, the way yeah yeah. yeah. We actually had to yeah. switch that halfway through, I think, because. He developed it with eighth on the top and first on yeah. the bottom, and then he accidentally said eighth on the bottom on on the recording, so... It stuck. It, yeah. That's how it is now. And similar thing for uh, Creval giving me the, uh, the Dragonborn. And uh, so all of a sudden we had an entire Dragonborn race that had all sorts of culture, and, and uh, we kind of uh, uh, worked it out between us how, how all that worked. Um, but yeah, they, you guys actually told me what was in, in the thing. So does anybody have any thoughts on, on world building? Because I know a bunch of you also run your own games, although some of them are, uh, are package games and other ones are, are real. I wouldn't say there's... I have yeah. a lot of problem with world building. Um, my talents don't lie that way. I can come up, come up with a story or a backstory really easy, but when it comes to actually developing a world, I'm just horrible at it. So I... Oh, when people ask me about you in this podcast, I always give you a lot of credit because I can't do what you do with the world. I give you a lot of credit for that. Um, if someone had just dropped a race on me that I wasn't planning to use, I don't know if I had to come up with the idea of blending sci-fi culture with a real culture with something else, and bam, there's your Dragonborn Nation. Yeah. So I give you a lot of props with that. I normally do a pre-existing one. Right now, I, in case like Faerun or Eberron, I use pre-existing and build my stories off of that. Well, and the plus to that, of course, is that, I mean, those have had decades of development and many, many minds that have put in there with all sorts of different creative creativity and different ideas. And, and uh, you know, as they, as they say, you know, none of us are as dumb as all of us together. So they've come up with a bunch of uh, fun ideas that any one person probably would not have come along with, which actually was how it was great with uh, what uh, everyone had provided me with their backstories. That gave me a whole bunch of other ideas of what was in the world. So that was neat. Anybody else? I think it's just it's it's important to be as let as words. <laughs> it's important to not be quite as rigid as as you think that you should be. I, I found I, I ran into a lot of hiccups in in my game when I would try to world build something and then the players do something completely different and yep. then I kind of got really shook up because they did something that wasn't what I was scripted for myself, so to speak. So just like uh, the real world being kind of loose with expectations and things like that because things uh, can change and yep. your players don't necessarily know what you know. So, you know, if, if they change a direction from something that was in your head for them to go to, then that's, that's okay. 
Yeah, and actually, the one one of the most hilarious ones of those um, I remember from way back when I was in college. A guy had put together this entire coastal town, this entire port city, and you know had all of these adventures and fun things and and uh, and so forth that was in the uh, in the city. And so, in episode one of their their campaign, um, he said, "Okay." You know, you're in this port city, blah, 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 with blah, 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 blah. What do you want to do? And they all said, we get on a boat and leave. <laughs> all that work. <laughs> well, well, actually, what I told them, what, what I would have done is, is I would have taken the map and gone, whoop, upside down. And it's like, okay, you land in this port city. It's got blah, 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 blah. And just turn turn the map around yeah, the other way to, so, you, so you're coming in instead of going out. Trying their plans. Yeah. And that's a really great point to make with that little joke but it's it's serious is that as a dungeon master though it sounds so stupid to say this but the world literally is open to you and even when you follow a box campaign you don't have to like you just said follow the whole letter of the law you're taking something that does exist and still making it your own yeah yeah you, you can put in a thieves guild where there isn't one you can uh you know change up the whole political dynamic you can uh, add other things to it so to make it better so Okay. And then uh, finally, the last one from the, from the blackguards, the thanks again, blackguards is the challenges and rewards of releasing a real play podcast. And obviously there are a lot of both, um, you know, obviously, uh, challenges. I mean, it's like you normally you like spend one or two hours writing up, um, any hour of adventure and then, Hey, let's take that and add four more hours so we can edit what we just did. So we can put it out on a podcast. That sounds like fun. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of different, uh, different, uh, challenges. Um, another one of the big challenges we have is, is, uh, with, uh, you know, we decided early on that we weren't going to run an episode unless everybody was there. Um, and sometimes that's what, uh, some of the podcasts will do where it'll be like, you know, Oh, Jim's not here. So John will be running Jim and John's characters, you know, and, or, you know, that particular character is just missing for an episode. It's like, Oh, Jim's not here. So Jim's character is down below in the hold where he is absolutely sick and can't come up to the top. So it's, you know, he's, he won't be present here. Uh, but we decided early on we weren't going to do that. Um, so we actually ended up uh, coming up with a couple of alternate storylines that we run whenever there's a player that's not available. Um, so you know, obviously the the biggest challenge, just like it is for any game that's not podcast, is trying to get everybody in the same room. Um, and actually, uh, as we pointed out before, th this wasn't at the first cast that we had for this podcast. We had a slightly different one and... Um, we had we realized after we recorded our first episode and then couldn't get together again for like three months where everyone was around the table that one we had too many players uh, trying to coordinate six schedules was different than trying to coordinate five and then we had uh, just you know too disparate of uh, players that were uh, they just had too many schedule problems so it was uh, we settled on this group and the uh, rest is history so thank all of you guys for making time to to make this happen. Um, but as for rewards, obviously it's just, um, fun being able to share this with everybody. And, you know, if, if you're not a part of the, uh, podcasting scene, it's just full of amazing people that are just very fun to, to interact with and, and hang out with. So it definitely a lot of work, but it's rewarding. Um, anybody else have thoughts on that? 
I never thought I'd be a part of a podcast, so it's it's pretty fun to to participate in it. For me, it's a little different. The there's a, a new level of formality, obviously, with that. So, where if in a in a non-recorded game, you know, you can tend to joke around a little more and and kind of be a little bit more free flowing. But here, you know, where we have a schedule that we need to to maintain our sessions, it it uh, changes that up a little bit. Yeah, I remember we actually had to re-record our first episode that we did for this one because everybody was so tight. <laughs> it was it was so um, you know everything. Everybody was just like afraid to say the wrong thing, and then um, something actually something happened with the uh, the equipment, and we ended up having to do it over again. And uh, it, the second time, like the the pressure had gone off, and everybody was was more like themselves, and we're like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be more like. So that was so much better. And yeah, it definitely feels different than if we were just sitting around a table talking. Like one of the problems we run into is if you're just playing around a table and you say, oh, I, I'm going to hit orc number three with my axe while you're yawning. That's perfectly fine. But if you're podcasting, that that's going to be, okay, let's stop. Say that again. When we're editing, we're going to have to cut out that segment when you yawn through that. Yeah, it definitely keeps everyone more focused. There's no doubt about it. So and what you a, can't like get up to use the bathroom in the middle of the session and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's definitely very. You got to sit and focus on it for an hour. Exactly. Yeah. I know. For me, one of the the brightest spots is because I'm this big of a dork. I listen to our podcast when they're fully edited because there is you know there's a difference, and I like to listen for that difference. And every now and again, when somebody who does isn't aware that I do this comes by and they're listening and they're like, is that you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like, you do a podcast? I'm like, yeah. And it's just that little thrill. Like, yes, I do. I put out a podcast with some amazing people and we have a lot of fun. And it's it's just that little cool little cool surge of I'm doing something that people are are surprised. And it's just, it's just really nice to feel. On the other side of that uh, is trying to create balance with my significant other who wants nothing to do with it, the podcast or the, or the whole game or anything to do with it. It can create problems when you're like, I really need to go make these recordings. And the answer you get back is no, you really don't. It's like, no, I really do. You know, I've dedicated myself to this and it's something I much rather, I much rather see succeed than back out on. And it, it's been fun. And, you know, as time has gone on, she realizes, okay, I don't understand it, but I support you. So it can create problems sometimes. That's a, that's probably the biggest one is balancing recording time with real life. Yeah, we and we all have that problem uh, definitely. And actually, it's even uh, tenfold larger over here because um, you know since the recording studio is over here, that means that people have got to be absolutely quiet in the house for the uh, hour long sessions that we do, and uh, usually several, two or three back to back. So uh, yeah, it uh, the a lot a lot of kudos to our significant others for uh, letting us do this. Yeah, uh, kind of going off of that, it's um, what the positives, what Drew said is like telling people like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you should check out my podcast. And they're like, what? You have a podcast? Why didn't you tell me sooner? And so like uh, when I was getting together my D&D group, I was all like, oh, yeah, and you can also like check us out. And they're like, excuse me? I don't, what? And that's how I got um, my entire friend group to listen to our podcast 
me and uh, one of my uh, best friends in college, we, when we're driving to one of our marching band gigs, we would just listen to our podcast on the way there. So that was pretty fun. Okay, any other last minute items for the challenges and rewards? One thing I remember seeing actually, the uh, there was a person on Twitter, I don't remember, it was another podcast, asking you about railroading or something like that and how we felt about how railroaded our podcast was or something. I don't remember. I, I remember seeing it, but I... Yeah, uh, well, we can go around to that one too. Well, here's a question: do you, do you um, do do the rest of you feel like you're being railroaded down this storyline, or is this storyline so fascinating that you're just happy to go along with it? What's what what are your feelings on that? For me personally, like if I take a step back, I can see that we're definitely being there is definitely a route that we're being pushed, but it's not railroading. Like we get back to town. The guard captain says, okay, guard patrol seven B. Now you need to go out and patrol over there. It's we go back in town. We tell the Baron, okay, we need to go over here. Like if we wanted to, we could just like go kill gnomes or something, but we're like, oh, we have this great duty and we can go do it as opposed to, okay, guard group seven B, no killing gnomes, go kill that. <laughs> you said gnome. I think it helps that everyone in our party, is, like all of us as players, aren't really interested in messing with your story. Like we actually are interested in what you're telling us and, and want to play the game and not just ruin the DM's time, you know? Yeah. Um, like I, yeah, like Bryce said, I can definitely like look back and be like, okay, like this is probably the progression that we're going to go down. But at the same time, as we're going through the story you put in so much more other layers into into the story itself that it doesn't feel like we're being pushed along this specific storyline because we're like, okay, we're going to have to go to the, the island in Taurus, right? Oh, we don't have a boat. Oh, we just uh, stole away this guy's wife and we're going to have to bring it back. Oh, and now there's a giant. But the giant's nice? And now there's a beholder. And now the giant's even more nice? Okay, what's going on now? Oh, let's go fight a dragon. Like I I just I think like it it might be a it might be we're on a train on a railroad track, but this railroad track has some really nice views. It's like a roller coaster versus a train. Yeah. I that's a good that's a good analogy. It's kind of like the Orient Express. You guys keep finding these bodies. Yeah, figure out what's going on. This this question kind of seems a little unfair, I think to our D and D in a whole because I, as a DM, I've been accused of this too, and um, often enough, the person asking the question is asking it because they feel like they can't get away with whatever they want to. And while this game is designed to be opened up and interpreted many different ways, even with the core rules, it's important to notice that when you join the table, you are joining under the expectation that you're going to have to play the game by the rule set forth by the storyteller. So you get those arguments about rules as written versus open world. And then they say, well, they don't hear what they want to hear. They throw out, I'm being railroaded or whatever. And I don't feel like you've ever done that to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then as I was saying there, there's railroading, there's railroading. I mean, um, obviously as a dungeon master, you do have tools in your toolbox to push the story forward down the direction that you had planned. Um, even if the players are um, off, you know, sandboxing and something else. And in, in, in fairness, I mean, there are some games that are literally just a sandbox where, you know, you get in there's like, and you're in this keep. 
and over there is a cavern, and over there is a swamp, and over there is a forest, and there's a mad hermit, which is actually the uh, whole of the uh, B2 Keep on the Borderlands episode that uh, came out with the original box set way back when. And, um, you know, you're literally allowed just to, you know, go and, and do this. Of course, that means that you now have to have all that mapped out because the party could go anywhere, any direction. And there's no abiding storyline. You're just a bunch of murder hobos mowing around and doing stuff. The dungeon master can make a storyline where, you know, you must save the keep from the people in the caverns, you know. Um, or, the, you know, there's something going on in the swamps that you need to take care of. Um, but then, as I was saying, there's, there's railroading and there's railroading. I mean, um, you can totally let the players um, make their own path but then that path will have consequences. So say that there's like barbarians coming out of the mountains. Not that that ever happens. But say there's barbarians coming out of the mountains. Well, the players can go, nah, not really interested in that. Let's go talk to the dwarves. Well, the next thing you know, you're, you know, you, as a dungeon master, you can say, well, you just got news that the barbarians just overran a city. And then it's like, okay, the barbarians now are overrunning the, um, the fields of grain and everyone's going to starve if you don't do something about it. So you can, you can, the player's actions can have consequences that can start piling up until they have to deal with the problem that you were going to put before them ahead of time. So like I said, there's, there's railroading and railroading, but um, like we are saying before, the nice thing is for this group is that everybody uh, bought into the storyline to begin with and wants to see where it's going. So it's, it's not that, uh, not like Bryce said, there's not that they're being railroaded so much as they're on a railroad and they want to find out what's in each of these train cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And then another thing that I think is interesting is uh, because we have the different storylines, the Tabaxi, and we occasionally throw in the Dragonborn, we get to kind of play in this world from a different angle too. They're all related, but if you're kind of tired about, you know, hey, no one has to do this or that, you you're Tabaxi a, a month from there, or even a Dragonborn once in a while, and that makes it kind of gives you that ability to to play outside of what what the original script is and kind of flex those muscles and coming up soon our all gnome artificer group (laughs) yeah um one tweet i found trying to find the original question it's a it's you and it's if your group buys into the story you don't have to railroad the party they're looking for the next piece of the puzzle that will lead to the next part of the story Meanwhile, you let them tell their character story along the way. Yep. And I think, yeah, that really... Pretty much what we've done here, yeah. I have a a storyline going right now with my group where they're off to get certain things, and it's almost very much um, railroaded, but at the same time, um, they're there for a specific reason. So I still encourage them to explore, but as our Lester GM said, there's consequences. Yeah, the players have agency, but there's consequences to that agency depending on the storyline. So, any other any other thoughts on on uh, on structuring the the uh, story and, and railroading versus not? Question real quick, just yeah. off of what we asked. Did we ask what everyone's favorite was? Does anyone have a, like a least favorite NPC? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, let's go around the table and figure out the the least favorite NPC. So, uh, um, everyone, think on that one for just a minute, because there there was some bad people in there. But at the same time, they are also kind of fun to have in there. I don't know if I had a least favorite NPC because they're all my little babies. I don't. So actually, actually, do you want to start off, uh, Drew, and and your least favorite NPC? Honestly, it's not even my least favorite, but it's the one that makes just like makes me irritated the most. It was a kind of a toss up. It was between 
Sam the Hunter, because I have a big thing about trophy hunters, I don't particularly like them as a person. Um, I prefer the hunters that actually go out to hunt for the purpose of feeding their families. And then just the voice of the gold dragon, just, I love the character, I hate the voice. Oh, come on, darling. She loves you very much. <laughs> I just I think about that voice, man. It's like, wow, that's just like nails on the chalkboard down my spine. Oh, good. I, I love the character, I hate the voice. Very good. And, and yeah, I, um, Sam was a lot of fun to play and, uh, and, and, uh, low quacks for the same reason. I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is about being a dungeon master. That's just so much fun when you just absolutely annoy the bejesus out of your party members, but it is I, awful fun to do. I, I, I just like that Kermit the Frog sounding astrologer. <laughs> no one doesn't go to that keep for a reason. <laughs> That was the most unexpected voice ever. And I think what was great about it is after the fact, you admitted that wasn't the voice you intended. It's just how it came out. Yeah. Well, it's just sort of how Galchabar, um, you know, was supposed to be Deckard Kane from Diablo 2, but then he starts out like Jimmy Stewart, really, a lot of times. So, so, hello, Sorcerer. I, I was hearing Gandalf a lot in yeah. Galchabar. Oh, good. I, I thought that was your intention, actually. Well, yeah, but now yes, yes it was. Stewart, it totally was. That's exactly what I meant to do. <laughs> Anybody? I also very strongly disliked the trophy hunter for reasons which both Adrian and I have expressed. <laughs> Ironically about that, I think that's the most in common Craval and Adrian ever got was that those scenes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> which, which was really, really, really cool. I, I like how they, they found that, that overlapping Venn diagram. And how about uh, you two? My favorite NPC to hate is the leader of the Red Dragonborn clan because he's just so hateable. He was just a jerk. Just yeah. roast him. He's just a jerk. Just, yeah, and like when um yeah, is is just not 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 a fun time. But like he had his purpose in progressing the story or whatever. But like yeah, favorite character hate leader of the Red Dragonborn clan. Do you have a like you don't even care about them, you just dislike them? NPC or uh, not really. Um, yeah, no, not at this point. Now for me, there's this farmer guy who wears weird <laughs> robes. <laughs> That's not an NPC. Oh, what? Sorry. Oh, you yeah. said NPC. So in, how about NPCs there, Bryce? Or is there anyone yeah. that you really disliked yeah. in the whole um, thing? My family is a little annoying, which I'm sure... <laughs> an interesting thing to say but Ooh, like I, my mother and my be... sisters they are acting as sort of a limit on the benefit that my family gives me at the moment where it's like oh hey you get like magic items because we have money but also we have no money because we replace our china every six months i did do actually have my least favorite npc that you brought up your family the um the new magic crafter guy the, the wizard the wizard who kills animals to make actually when it's the animals it was extra planar beings yeah, yeah to make magic items that i think he's my least favorite so far it might be jealousy it might be just because he's a bad person well i, I do oh, have to admit it's, I, a, it's an npc that i liked but i but like in a in a hateful kind of way, I really enjoyed the the plane walker um, mind travel. Oh, my, the mind travel, yeah. That came and 
whacked us on the head to get us out of the trance. I hope we run into him again because I was really. I hope we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Things would be well off the rails if that happens. If we run into him again, I feel that head pain is the least of our worries and more permanent, irrevocable death. Considering the trouble you guys get yourself into, you might end up running into him again. We'll just see if the Mind Traveler makes another appearance. Foreshadowing. Yeah. But I do have to admit, with the uh, wizard, um, I did put that in for everyone to kind of think about what's in their magic items. You know, it's it's not just a sword that is magically sharp and strong. That there was something that went into it, and and you know, for little magic items, that might have been just something as simple as uh, you know, just a little bit of magical energy to make it so. But for the bigger ones, there might be some price to pay for that along down the line. That's a heck of a way of doing that. I, I got to say, uh, you know, right now we're remote playing, which is one of the most challenges. But I got to say, every time you bring up Cotter's mom, because I normally sit next to Bryce, I can see Bryce instantly tense. <laughs> <laughs> every time you say, Cotter, you get this in your head, and Bryce just tenses noticeably next to me. I'm like, well, I know which one he doesn't like. Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of a fight with a dragon. And I get a message in my head, Cotter, we need to change the China, but Sinia won't let me. And it's like, oh my gosh, Adri is dying. <laughs> I cannot talk right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, was that the entire message I sent back? I think so. <laughs> yeah, it or, was. Yeah. Or, or was it, this is a bad time, something yeah. like that. Yeah. It was, it was short. Said, not a good time, we'll get back to you. Yeah. And then I'd proceed to not for a bit, if I remember to right. record message, please press one. But yeah. Okay, any last thoughts on annoying NPCs that I can put in the game to, to annoy the bejesus out of you further? Did you make one up that even you didn't like? You know, I don't know. I mean, because they're, like I said, they're all my little babies. Um, even the ones that I put in just to be unlikable, um, I put in just to be unlikable. So they, I, I was pleased that the ones that were, were meant to be disliked actually got that visceral reaction. So, um, So that all worked out real well. Yeah, obviously I put in some that didn't work out as well, and but I just kind of they just kind of went by the boards. But, but yeah, there's never never one I really disliked. Okay, any last thoughts on dislikable uh, NPCs? I have a feeling that some might change once we get deeper into the storyline. We're Could not be. there yet, obviously, but where we're currently at, and I won't do any spoilers. I'm really interested in seeing what you have in store for us. Yeah, we're kind of heading into all new territory here under the earth, so going to be some fun things any other thoughts i mean we've been going for half an hour or more 40 minutes. minutes yeah not bad hey if they wanted to reach us how would they do so mr dm yeah he records that about four hours before he uploads so <laughs> depends sometimes i get a whole week ahead wow at one point i was three months ahead and that and was then, actually really terrifying because yeah, he's like i had one storyline going on currently and another storyline going on what i was editing and a third storyline going on and what was coming out of the podcast every month and it's like let me let me remember where we're at on each one of these and then you're like oh wait we just need to release all those all at once so that yeah. we never well who knew, who knew the, the summer layoff was going to be as bad as it was or else we would have probably done weekly yeah and don't forget, listeners, if you're looking to become a sponsor, come on in. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. And as always, let us know what you think. Rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Email us at relicofthepastpodcast at gmail.com 
Follow us at Relic of the Past on Twitter and Relic of the Past Podcast on Facebook. Articles and artwork are available at poolmedia.podbean.com. And thank you for playing in the world that lives inside our heads. <laughs>